Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion who had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It is such a blessing for me to be here and uh, be able to share God's word with you. Uh, I've been, I just finished a 10-month interim pastorate at First Baptist, uh, First Baptist Church of Moore for the Hispanic congregation. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm so glad for for our church. I know that you... uh, some of you were praying for, for me as I was serving there and uh, praying for this church. They now have a pastor, and so we are, we are so glad uh, about that. And, and I, I'm, I'm just so grateful for um, our elders here at uh, Redemption uh, for their support and their encouragement as I, uh, as I went and I served in this church. But, uh, you know, through my work with, with Oklahoma Baptist, with the convention, I, I get the opportunity to go and, and, and preach at many churches. Last week, I was preaching uh, at a retirement service for one of our, our uh, Hispanic pastors. And, uh, and it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, experience and just the opportunity to go and, and preach. But I tell you, there's just something special about preaching at your own church. And so I am glad uh, to be here this morning with you. The Word of God has been read. Uh, I usually start by reading uh, the passage, but it has already been read. So I want to ask you uh, to bow your heads. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. And that way we will begin. Father, we thank you for the reading of your Word. And we thank you for um, giving us the the blessing and and, and the great honor and privilege to be here together in your name. As the body of Christ that we are that we are a witness to this community of the love of Jesus and how we love one another is how people uh, will get to experience your love also. And Father, as we come to your word and as we come to the message that you have for us this morning, uh, we ask that um, you will allow us to, to understand it, that you will allow me to explain it in a way that is clear and that you will allow all of us to receive the word that you have for us. Father, we want to ask in a very special way that you will allow us to see the miracle of salvation this morning. That you will 
that you will allow for your church to see that when, when you say that the, the gospel is the power of God and to salvation for those who believe, that you will allow us to see that today and that, um, that we will be blessed by, by the preaching of your word. We love you and we praise you and we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The title for the message this morning is, And Jesus Was Amazed. And Jesus Was Amazed. Um, if, if you uh, read your Bible, and, and you, and you uh, obviously you'll probably go home, and, and you will remember that the story of the centurion that we just read uh, right now, it's also found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 8. So this morning I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to take this passage and I want us to do three things. Um, the first thing I'm going to do, and, and these are going to be my basic, my, my three points if, you, if you're writing down and, and you're following along. Uh, the first thing that we're going to be looking at is the apparent contradiction in Matthew 8. Uh, verses 5 through, through 13, and, and I'm about to explain that in just a minute. The second thing that we're going to look at is three false assumptions about God and faith. And then the third thing that we're going to see is one amazing statement made by Jesus about a man. So um, if you're, if you're going to be following along and taking notes, which I hope you do, um, first I want us, I want us to look at the apparent contradiction in Matthew 8. Because we have the same story. We have the parallel passage that we just read in Luke 7. We have that same story in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. Uh, first of all, one of the characters, the main character that we see here besides Jesus, is this centurion. Um, and a centurion was simply, uh, he was a commander, uh, or a commander in, in, uh, of, a, of a century or of a hundred troops in the Roman army. Uh, it, it, was, it was a person of authority. It was, uh, he was a, a person of, uh, uh, you know, had a certain level of prestige uh, in, in Roman society. And, and that's the, the, the person that we're looking at here. But, but in the story of Matthew 8, and uh, the story in Luke 7 that we just read, um, there appears to be a contradiction because in Matthew 8, it says that the centurion himself came to Jesus. And so as you read the story, it says that the centurion came to Jesus and Jesus spoke to him directly. Uh, but when we read in Matthew and Luke, obviously we just read that it was uh, the centurion that sent some Jewish elders to speak to Jesus. So it appears that Matthew... Uh, wrote that the centurion himself came to Jesus while, while Luke writes that he sent some men to speak with Jesus. And, and the very quick explanation, uh, and, and, and I think this is the, the, the reason why I felt that it was important is because sometimes as, as you're reading along and, and if, if you're already familiar with the passage in Matthew, uh, you would, you know, you would be thinking, well, there, there, there appears to be some, some discrepancies here in, in, in this story because one is saying that he came to Jesus himself. The other one is saying that he sent some men to Jesus. 
Well, we we gotta we gotta understand that the way that the the gospels were written, we 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 have what what are called the three synoptic gospels: Matthew, Mark, and and Luke. And and so they are they are a, a lot of the the stories are very similar. They're the same stories. They're written from different uh, different perspectives, if you will, if you will, and and to different um, audiences. And so when when we see that in in, in scripture. Uh, Instead of thinking that there, you know, that, that scripture is contradicting itself, that it's saying one thing here and another thing there, we gotta understand that it, it was written for different audiences in, 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 in different styles. So one of the things that we see here is that Matthew is simply giving us the summarized version of the story. And, and, and one of the ways that he summarizes it is simply by saying the centurion uh, it, it, it reads as if he had come to Jesus himself, but it was really through, through a group of men that he is speaking. And so in that way, yes, he came to Jesus, but it was through other men. And so, you know, so he, Matthew is simply summarizing the version of the story, and the writer simply says that a centurion came to Jesus. And so, um, but, but it is clear if we, if we go to Luke 7, 7, and we read, and it says, the centurion himself says, I did not believe uh, to be worthy of coming to you. That's, why, that's the reason why I did, I did not come to you in verse 7. And so we read that, that the centurion did not come to Jesus himself because he did not consider himself worthy to come to Jesus. So, so the story that what we have here in Luke, they're not, they're not contradicting uh, the, the writers are not are, are not contradicting themselves by saying that the centurion came himself and the other one that the the centurion sent sent some men. But it's simply the way that it is written. Uh, but verse seven explains it to us that it was not the centurion himself that came, but he sent some men. Now, with you know, if you if you would like to talk about that in more in more depth. Obviously, we have a few a few doctors in the house that you can speak with. You can you can talk to Mark. You can uh, speak with with Paul or or, or some other uh, of the elders. Uh, or you can come to me and and we can talk about that a little a little more. But I, I just in, in a way I kind of wanted to get that out of the way in case there were any questions. And I didn't want you thinking you know for the rest of the sermon trying to figure out as as it's happened to me many times that I'm trying to figure out some 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 things that. You know, they're, they're not, they're not explained, uh, uh, they're, they're not apparently explained immediately. And so I find myself trying to figure that out as the sermon is going on. Uh, well, now, now you know, there is a, a, a clear expl- explanation for that. And so we don't need to fear. Uh, th- there are no contradictions in scripture. Um, in fact, it is a blessing that we have the synoptic gospels. Uh, to give us a fuller picture of the life of Jesus. And so that's, what, that's why it's so good to read uh, the, the Gospels in their entirety because it'll give you the, the, the fuller picture of the ministry and the life of Jesus. Uh, and the last thing that I want to say about that is that God's Word is without error. Uh, and we, we can trust it completely. We don't have to worry about, about the Bible contradicting itself. Uh, it is the Word of God and it, it is inerrant. It is without error. Um, the second thing that, that, that I want us to look at here in this passage is that there, uh, from this story that we just read in Luke, and we're going to remain in Luke, um, you know, Matthew, let's, let's set Matthew aside for now. Um, but in the story of Luke, we see that there are three false assumptions about God and faith. Um, the first thing that we see in verses 4 and 5 
is that we deserve God's favor because of good, the good things that we do. That is one uh, false assumption about who God is, how God works, and about faith. Uh, and and when, the, when the elders, the Jewish elders, come to Jesus, they say in verses 4 and 5, and I'm going to read it again. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our, uh, has built our synagogue. And, and it says that, that Jesus ended up going, going with them. Now, that was, that was very grace, uh, gracious of Jesus to do that. But, but we need to understand that it wasn't because, because he was forced by them. Uh, because, because this man really was worthy you know these jewish leaders believed that this man deserved to receive what was asking uh what he was asking for because of the good things that he had done namely that he had built a synagogue for for the jews uh in this in this region uh they believed in the law of retribution and and i know that retribution can have a negative connotation to it, it, it can, it can uh, sound kind of like revenge or, you know, a, a payback. But um, I, I, I like that word in Spanish better because it means that, that you receive payment for something that you have done. That you have done something and then, and then you receive uh, something, um, uh, you know, of, of similar nature. So they believe in the law of retribution. Uh, if I do something good or if I do something bad, then, then God will repay me in similar manner. And, and that was their belief. That was their theology. That's what they, they thought that the way that God functioned, the way that God worked. Uh, and and the, the, the thing about that is that most people uh, who believe uh, have any, any kind of notion about God, and including many Christians, uh, believe that that is how God works. If I do good things, then God will do some good things for me. If I do some bad things then some bad things are going to happen to me. Now, we understand, and, and, and we don't have the time to get into this theologically, right? But, but yes, we know that there is, there is punishment and there is payment for sin, and, and we know that. But, but that is different than from, from what the Jewish leaders believed. They thought that it was, that it was based on works. That they, thought, they thought that this man deserved to receive the favor of God and, 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 the, and, and, and was, was worthy to be given what he was asking for because of the good things that he had done. Now, we know that, um, you know, sometimes, many times, bad things happen to people that are doing good things. And many times it appears that good things happen to people that are, that are doing terrible things. So it's not, it's, not, it's not that God works in that way, but that's what they believe. And that's why I'm calling this a false assumption about God, because we, we need to understand who God is and how God functions based on Scripture to understand really that, that that is not the way that He operates. Now, the second false assumption that we see uh, in this passage, we, we see in verse 6, and, and, and that is that God bestows His favor upon one group of people over another. Uh, go to verse 6 with me, and it says, that Jesus was, went with them, and, and he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, the, the, it's interesting that the, the Jewish leaders come to, to Jesus and they tell him, this man is worthy of you coming and, and, and healing his, his servant because of the good things that he has done for us. 
But yet, when the, when, when, when the centurion speaks, he says, I'm not, I'm not worthy. So we see that, that contrast, and we see the humility of this man. But one of the things that, that we see is that the centurion felt unworthy to receive Jesus in his house because he believed the Jewish teaching of Gentiles being unclean. And so we, we know that, that, uh, that was a Jewish te- a teaching. That, that they were, they were the ones that were, that were clean. They could approach God and, and they couldn't have that, that, those close contacts relationships, especially for a Gentile to come under the roof of a Jewish man. That, that was, that was, that was considered that they would, they would defile the house, that, that, that they would become unclean. And, and this man, as pious as he might have been and, and as, as a God fearing uh, uh, Gentile who, who he was, he believed that, that teaching, uh, of, of the Jewish people that, that, that the, the Gentiles were unclean. Um, he believed a false teaching about how God relates to people. And, and many, people, many people now think that, that it is by the things that we do that we, that we can clean ourselves uh, of our, and, and rid of our sin, that we can then have a right relationship with God. And, and that is not the case. That, that is a false assumption about God. The centurion, this man, had believed that only Jews had the blessing of coming close to God because that's what he had been taught. That, those, are, those are some of the things that he believed because that's the way that he had been taught. He, in, in a way, he had been taught false teachings about God. The reality is that God chose Israel, and he did. He chose them as his, as his special people. He chose Israel, but he chose them to be his representatives on earth. So that through their witness, the nations would know him. It, it, was, it was God working through the Jewish nation that, that, that he wanted the Jews to be his witnesses, not to keep people away from God, but the, the, the complete opposite. So that they would draw God from, from the relationship and the blessings that they had received. And, and especially because of the way that had, he had, the way that God had revealed him, himself to the Jewish nation, that it was the, the, the job of the Jewish nation and, and it was their mission to reveal God's true character. Which unfortunately they failed at doing that, right? And 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 that's where that's where where Jesus then calls in a group of the redeemed, who are not only Jewish now, but now they are from all the nations, all around the world, all different tongues and and all different races. That that it, it is now the body of Christ, the ones that it is our job to be the witnesses. To be the ones that reveal the true character and nature of God. And then the third, the third false assumption that I want us to see here uh, in, in, this, in this passage from this story um, is what we see in, in verse 7. And that is that we have a wrong understanding about what faith is. And, and that's not only speaking about people um, that don't have a relationship with God, but many times Christians... We have, uh, we don't have the right understanding about what faith is. Many believe that faith is some weird metaphysical exercise where one's thoughts and desires are materialized out of nothing. Basically where you can generate a reality 
from from your own thoughts and from your your, your desires and, and 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 the things that you that you wish would happen, and that and that's not what faith is. That's what false teachers teach about faith, but that's not what faith is. Or, or many people believe that somehow we can manipulate God into acting or doing something a certain way for our benefit. That is not true faith. That is a misunderstanding of what faith is. All faith is, is placing your trust in something or someone. Faith is trust. They, they are, they are the equivalent. They are, they are equal. And so when we, when we talk about faith, we're really just talking about trust. You exercise faith this morning as you drove here. Um, let me, let me explain that for just a minute. So you, you trusted that your car would not blow up when you started it this morning. Think about that. You have, you have, you have fire and you have fuel in, contained in a, uh, in, in a small space in your vehicle, if you drive an electric vehicle, you have different issues. You have, you have basically an electric bomb under, under, your, under the entire platform of your, of your vehicle. Uh, but yet you, you get in your vehicle, you turn on the ignition, and you don't even think about it. You simply trust that the system that was designed by, by professional engineers will work just as it has done it for Hundreds, if not thousands of times. You drove over bridges this morning as you, as you came here. Now, you may think, well, no, I, you know, I just kind of live down the street. Well, still, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little bridges that you, that you go over, you know, the little, little waterways that, that go under, under the street that you don't even think about that at any given moment those things could collapse. Yet, you drove through them without any care, without even giving it any thought. You put your trust in whoever the the engineer was and then you put your trust in those construction workers that they did the job correctly and so you can you can safely drive over those bridges without even thinking about it in fact the fact that you're sitting on that pew right now you are placing your 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 trust in in the fact that someone built those pews now if someone had come last night with a chainsaw and had made some very strategic cuts under under that those pews and you knew about it you probably would not trust that pew where you're sitting right now. But yet, you are safely seeing, sitting on it without giving it any thought. See, faith is simply trust. It's putting your trust in something. Of course, your faith is only as good as that in which you place it. Your faith is only as good as that in which you place it. And many people have put their faith in things that cannot support their faith, especially when it comes to eternity. Now, with that out of the way, I want us to get into the main part of the story, the main part of the passage. And that is one amazing statement made by Jesus about a man. One amazing statement made by Jesus about a man. The story says that Jesus was amazed at the centurion's response. Now, I'm not, thankfully, my studies have not required me to take any Hebrew or Greek. Uh, we have some men that are crazy enough that have taken those and they enjoy it. And, 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 and I'm glad I, I don't have to. However, I do know that I have to look up some things sometimes 
to, to, to know what, what that word is. And the only reason I'm going to mention this, the word amazed in, in the Greek is the word tomazo. Uh, uh, Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah? Okay. I, I'm bilingual in Spanish and English, not, not, in, not in Greek. Um, but the only reason why I'm mentioning that word is because we see that word over and over, and, and, and we're going to see it here in just a minute. There's another occasion uh, when Jesus was also amazed. And, 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 the, and the thing that is so interesting about this is that it's talking about Jesus being amazed when it, uh, as it relates to matters of faith. If you have if you have your Bibles there with you, turn to Mark six verses one through six. I'm going to read this really, really quickly. But in Mark six verses one through six, this is what it says: Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. There is that word. People were amazed. Okay, where did this man get his uh, these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Verse 4 says, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And this is where I wanted us to get verse 6. He was amazed at their lack of faith. We see in Luke 7 that Jesus was amazed at the faith of the centurion, a Gentile man who did not have a full understanding of who, had, who God was and how God operated. He did not have a perfect theology of God. But in the story that we read in Mark 6, that time Jesus was amazed by the lack of faith in him. And these are people that were his closest, the, the ones that were closest to him, the, one, the ones that had seen him grow up, the ones that were, that they, they, they were, they were very familiar with his family. Isn't this the, car, the, the carpenter or the son of the carpenter? Aren't his brothers with us and, and his sisters? They thought they knew Jesus, but yet there was no faith in him. And Jesus is amazed at the lack of the faith that they had placed or that they had in him. I find it extremely interesting that the two times where, uh, where the gospels say that Jesus was amazed, it had to do with the issue of faith. One of them is great faith by the centurion. The other one is such a great lack of faith by those who were closest to him. It should make us ponder and consider our own faith in relation to Jesus Christ. As we sit here, we should think about this, and we should think about our own faith. Now, what was so special about the centurion's response? Um, so, one of the things that we see here that was so special, that, that, that to, to a point where Jesus was amazed at the, at the faith of this Gentile, of this man, um, one thing is that he understood the power of authority. This man understood the power of authority. Look at what verse 8 says. For I myself 
am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He was someone under another man's authority. This centurion was someone under another man's authority. But he also had others under his authority. This man did not have a perfect understanding of who Jesus was. Most people didn't at the time. Most people didn't have a full understanding of who Jesus was. They didn't have a full, a full revelation yet of who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus was doing. They knew what Jesus was teaching. But they didn't understand completely what, uh, who, who Jesus was. He had not, he had not read that thick book that we all know, Wayne's Grudem Systematic Theology. Right? How many of you have that in your, in your, in your library? How many of you have read through the entire thing? Yeah, yeah, I knew you, I knew you would raise your hand. I knew you would raise your hand. Paul probably has read it. Yeah, I haven't read the whole thing. I've read some parts of it. This man hadn't read Wayne Grudem Systematic Theology yet. Okay? Um, but this is what he knew. He knew Jesus was a miracle worker because of what it says in verse 3. The centurion heard about Jesus. So he had heard about Jesus and he knew. One of the things that he knew for certain was that Jesus was a miracle worker. As a military officer, obviously as a centurion, this, this man had intel that few people had. Uh, this man had had the, the privilege of, of, of receiving some reports from the Roman CIA about people. You see, what, we, we got to understand that in, 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 in the Roman Empire, uh, uh, you know, the, the, as powerful as they were, they could get information on anybody at any, at any point that they wanted. And when there was a person of interest, when there was someone that was walking down the streets and someone who was healing the sick, and someone that was doing all these miraculous things, and someone who would speak, and people would listen, that caught the attention of the authorities. See, Jesus, Jesus wasn't, wasn't under the radar the entire time. And as soon as a name kept popping up, that was a person of interest. And the Romans wanted to know, is this person a threat to us? So, the Romans had intel on Jesus. And certainly this man had some information on Jesus. I'm sure that he had made, made some, uh, some inquiries about who this man was. And the things that he heard was that Jesus was a man who had authority. See, if you read Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29, after Jesus is teaching particularly about his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it says about Jesus in Matthew 7, 28, 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. There we have that word again. That word keeps coming up. But it says, because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So as this man is making, is trying to find some information on this, who this Jesus is, one of the things that he keeps hearing from the people is, this man is a man of authority. This man teaches with authority. 
He's not just like all the other religious leaders that, that we see and that we're so accustomed to hearing. No, this man speaks with authority. This is a man who has authority. So what we, what we know that the centurion knew was that he trusted that this man, Jesus, had power and had authority to speak a word and healing would happen. He knew that much. And he, and, and he, and his faith was such that he knew this, this Jewish man, this itinerant preacher, this miracle worker that I keep hearing about, I know that he is a man who has power because everybody keeps talking about how many people he is healing. And I know that he is a man of authority because I know that people are talking about him having authority when he speaks. That was all this man knew at that moment about Jesus. And, and be honest, that's all this man needed to know at that moment. He trusted that Jesus could and would heal his servant. That's the reason why he sent these Jewish leaders to Jesus, because he did not feel worthy himself to come to him, because he knew that Jesus was a man of, of authority. So he, he, he didn't dare to even come to him. He had the authority to actually say, Go call that man and bring him to my house because I want to talk to him. And I want to demand that he heals my servant. Yet he didn't do that. You know, God rewards those who trust him. Jeremiah 7, 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Jesus knew the hearts of the people and, and, and who were around him, and, and he was aware that many were there just for the show. Even as Jesus is walking to, to the house of the centurion, it says that there were crowds that were following behind. But many of the people came just, just for the show. Many of the people came because, because they wanted to see what was the next thing that was going to happen. After Jesus fed the 5,000, in the story of, 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 of the, fishes and, uh, the fish and the loaves in John 6, verses 25 to 30. It, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but... For food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father hath placed his seal of approval. Verse 28. They asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give, uh, will you give that we may see it? And believe you. Jesus just fed 5,000. It says 5,000 men without counting women and children. Yet, they are asking him, well, what else can you do for us so that we can believe in you? What other tricks do you have up, up your sleeve so that we can believe that you truly are this son of man, the son of God that you, that you claim to be? They say our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread before heaven uh, to eat. So, so now they, in this particular story, they are asking 
for Jesus to show himself once again. Show us one more thing. Show us one more time. The people were not satisfied with what they had seen, and, and they wanted more. But you know, church, there is a time when the evidence for God's existence, there is a time when, when the evidence of his love, there is a time when, when the many miracles that he has done should be enough. There is a time when we all have to make a decision whether God is trustworthy or not. And he waits for us to respond in faith. He waits for us to respond in trust in him. Jesus responded to the centurion's faith. Yet the centurion's faith was not a faith, it was not a faith claim for salvation. That was not the, that was not the issue here. His was not a claim for salvation. Jesus did not declare his sin to be forgiven like he had done on other occasions. You remember some of the people that he would heal, he would say, your sins are forgiven. He would heal them and then he would declare them clean of their sin as well. We don't see any of those words. At least they're not written here. This man had a need and he knew someone who could resolve his situation. And that is what true faith is. It is recognizing that we have a great problem that we cannot solve by ourselves. But then we turn to God. We turn to God who is able to help us and who is ready to respond when we trust him. That is faith. It's simply trusting that there is nothing that we can do about our own situation. There is nothing that, that the centurion could do for his servant. There is nothing that the servant could do for himself. He says that he was so sick that he was about to die. And as powerful and as influential as the centurion was, there, there was no one else who could help him except this miracle worker who, who had authority. And he put his trust in him. What about you and I? See, our, our problem is much bigger than the physical sickness that the, 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 the servant was suffering. Our problem is much bigger than just simply physical issues. Scripture says that we are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's referring about Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature the serving of wrath. That was our condition without Christ. We were objects of the wrath of God. But God. Because if you continue to read there in Ephesians, in verse 4 it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incompatible riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Whether your faith is weak, whether your faith is great, God is ready to meet you where you are right now. He's ready to meet you right where you are. You don't need, you don't need to make your situation better. You, need, you, don't need to, you don't need to clean up your act. Not yet, anyways. But you need to wait upon the, the, the power of God to work in you and through you. You see, we were dead in our sins and transgressions, but, but Jesus came. Just as he came to the house of the centurion to heal his servant because there was nothing that they could do on their own. They had to trust on this man who had power and on this man who had authority. And that is exactly the same thing that Jesus came to do for us. So my question for you this morning is, how do you amaze Jesus? Because remember that Jesus, the the, the two times that he tells us that Jesus was amazed in the Gospels. One time he was amazed at the lack of faith in the people who were closest to him. And the second time it says that he was amazed at the great faith of this man. He says, in all of Israel, I have not found a person with such great faith who trusts in someone who he doesn't even know. How do you amaze Jesus? He said, by your constant lack of faith in him who is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask? Or is it by the faith that you place in him for everything in your life, day in and day out? See, Jesus said that he received all authority in heaven and on, on, on earth. And he defeated death. And he is victorious over sin. That's the Jesus that we preach. That's the Jesus that we believe. The Jesus who has power and authority over death itself. Have you placed your faith in him for salvation and eternal life yet? Are you living in victory in Jesus? Because we need to be honest, many times, even as Christians, we don't live in victory. We live defeated by sin and temptation. And by this world. Like the centurion, we are not worthy of coming to to God on our own righteousness. He he realized that. He, he, He realized that he could not come to God. Yet Jesus came to him. Because Jesus is worthy. And we can come to God because of Jesus. So this morning, I just, I just want to ask, have you come to Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus and realized that there's nothing that you can do on your own? That you're not only spiritually sick, Scripture says that you are spiritually dead in your sins and trespasses. But Jesus 
And God, who is rich in mercy, has sent his son so that you don't have to live in that condition anymore, but that you can receive eternal life. This morning, I just want to ask you to close your eyes. And I just want to make this invitation because, because I know that in a room like, like this, there has to be people who have not trusted Jesus as their Savior. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you have made a commitment to follow Christ, but, but you're not, you, 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 you are being defeated by, by temptation and by Satan. Why not come to Jesus today and say, Jesus, here I am. I know that you have the power and I know, I know you have the authority. And I know, that, I know that my faith is not great. But Jesus, from what I know and what I know about you, about you I just want to trust you today. I want to trust that you are able to, to cleanse me of all my sins and forgive me of my sins and, and, and give me eternal life, the life that you offer. Would you like to receive that gift today? I just want to ask you to raise your hand if you do. I want to pray with you after we're done. I see your hand. Thank you. Is there anyone that, that is ready to give their life to Christ today? Are you ready to repent of your sin? Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Are you ready to amaze Jesus? Father, we thank you for your word. We know that we are not worthy to come to you on our own. But we are so grateful for Jesus. He has given us the greatest gift that anyone can give. He's given his, his own life. He suffered on that cross. He sacrificed it all. So that we could be reconciled to you. Father, thank you for allowing us to see how, how great and, and merciful and, and full of grace you are towards us sinners who, who are not worthy and do, we do not deserve your love. But it is because of your mercy that we are able to come to you be saved Jesus glorify yourself through through the preaching of the word and through the work of your church we thank you for everything and we pray in your holy name in Jesus name